This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Come As You Are. Come As You Are is Canada's only worker-owned co-op sex shop. Trans-owned and operated, Come As You Are carefully reviews and curates their selection of sex toys, books, and DVDs. Now you can get 15% off your next purchase at comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. Hey there, Disability After Dark listeners. I want to take a minute to let you know all about a brand new contest put on by my friend, Bello Cipriani, who you heard in episode 114, telling us all about queerness, blindness, and disability. Well, he started a publishing company a while back called Ola Books, and they are committed to amplifying the stories of disabled writers. This year, in partnership with Pen to Paper, an international creative writing competition with the Coalition of Texans with Disabilities, Oleb Books has announced a new award for disabled writers, the Oleb Books Personal Essay Award. For this inaugural award, the team has chosen the theme of disabled parents. Now, I know there are so many disabled parents out there with something to say and a story to tell. What are the challenges of being disabled and raising a kid? What is disabled pregnancy like? Could you be a disabled mom or dad, or neither, or both? And so much more. Winners of this contest will receive $50 and have their essay featured in an anthology published by Oleb Books and be part of a big national marketing campaign. You can enter the contest by heading over to olebbooks.com contests or you can click on the link in the show notes of today's episode of Disability After Dark. Thanks, friends! Cripple Content Creations presents Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on sex and disability, with your host, Andrew Gerza. Disability After Dark, with Andrew Gerza, shining a bright light on sex and disability. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. Well, hello there, Disability After Dark listener. Thank you so much for clicking on this brand new episode of the program, shining a bright light on sex and disability. My name is, of course, Andrew Gerza, and I am your number one queer cripple, your disability awareness consultant, your disabled dicksmith or dreamboat, and I'm here to shine a bright light on sex and disability with you today. So get comfy, cozy, and crippled, and let's get this show started. The interview that I'm going to share today is with my new friend, Noor Peretz, who I met on Twitter probably about six, seven months ago, maybe more actually, and they've been trying to be on my show for the last six or seven months. And every time I went to go book them and we would set a date, I would have an IBS flare-up, disability stuff would occur, they couldn't record, he couldn't record, things would just not pan out. So finally, we sat down together and I am so happy we did. We had such a fun chat and I want to tell you all about it. In this interview, I talked with Noor about his search for trans-disabled representation as a person of color 
in his youth and then as in adulthood. And then we have a really interesting and important discussion around religion um, and disability and transness and how the Quran, he believes, makes exceptions for disabled people, which I thought was really cool because I haven't touched on disability and religion a lot on this show yet, so I was happy that he could bring that into the discussion. We also talk about why it's important for him to create lists as an autistic trans disabled person. Uh, we talk a little bit about how people fetishize him as a disabled person, as a specifically in, in relation to his autism, how they don't let him... He'll give them, he'll tell them what his needs are and they'll respect that, but they won't choose to ask him why or, or delve into things further with that with him and how they fetishize him as a really eccentric person with quirks and quirks, but they won't go deeper than that. We just have a really interesting chat about disability and, and intersectionality, and I just love sitting down. What I love about this interview the most, actually, is that during this interview, we I consider myself a pretty awkward person, and we got to sit down together as two awkward disabled people and awkwardly talk about disability, intersectionality, and sex. And sometimes those are my favorite interviews, and that was one of these ones. So you're going to hear us be awkward together for an hour talking about transness, disability, uh, ableism, all that stuff in a really fun, real interview with my friend Nor Peretz. And I don't have any more to say than that, so... I'm going to let the interview go. Here it is right now on a brand new episode of Disability After Dark. Also, there are moments in this interview where I say I'm going to edit, and I totally don't. So enjoy my shitty editing job on this interview. Get ready for that. But here it is now. Enjoy the interview, and thank you for listening. Okay. Nor Pervez, hello. Hello. I am so happy you're finally on the show. Let me <laughs> let me give the audience some background on <laughs> how long you have been trying to, and in the <laughs> nicest way possible, get on my shows. You reached out to me back in September of last year. That is literally <laughs> six months from this date of recording, and every single time disability of mine got in the way so i really appreciate that you patiently and kindly waited so long to be on disability after dark i am so happy to have you here welcome i'm excited to be here <laughs> yay so i gave the audience some background on who you are and what you do and why you're awesome why don't you introduce yourself tell us who you are and then then we'll just go from there um uh, sure so I'm Noor. I'm originally from Dallas-Fort Worth, and I moved up to D.C. for work. Um, I'm autistic, physically disabled, and really, really into, like, poetry and the arts and general art, just general artistic, creative fun times. Um, I consider myself a storyteller. I consider myself a crip. I consider myself a wide variety of things pretty much designed just to express who I am and to try and like get the rest of the world on board <laughs> that's awesome and I love how you have like 75 identities in there and each of them <laughs> and then one of them was like I love poetry and I love artsy things like I love how that's an identity piece for you because I think when we do those like bullets of who we are sometimes 
we feel like we have to be extra professional. We're like, I do this, and my title has meaning, and blah, blah, blah. And I like how you were like, I like art, and I like poetry, and so I'm, I'm here for that. So awesome. Okay. Um, I'm going to just pull out the stuff I want to ask you, because when you sent in your questionnaire, you gave me a lot of things that I wanted to be like, yes, I want to ask you about this. So I didn't, uh, my computer is slow. I'm going to pull it up as we're talking. Sure. So, so let me find that and the audience can hear me not be prepared for what I'm supposed to do because <laughs> this is the reality of hosting, folks. I am not prepared today, but Nora's here and we're going to do this. So mm. hang on while I get the things because here we are. Here we are. Yep. Yay. Okay. So Nor. Again, hello. Hello. One of the things that you mentioned in your questionnaire that I really, really kind of resonated with and I wanted to hear more about because I'm curious, you talk a lot about wanting and searching for disabled intersex representation and wanting to feel desirable as a trans disabled person. Now, that, when you sent that in, that hit me kind of hard because I feel like desirability politics is, is super real for a lot of us with disabilities and a lot of us who are marginalized just generally. Can you kind of take mm -hmm. us through what your search for representation as a trans uh, disabled person has been like and what desirability kind of means to you? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's hard to kind of pinpoint a starting point because when I was younger, I didn't really have quite the language around like trans and intersex identity, even though I knew pretty early on, I would say like, I do not fit like, my body doesn't do or say or act the way that other people's do. And I had just kind of this simultaneous love-hate relationship with it where I was like, this is a thing that makes me different from other people. And all of these stories and nonconformity narratives tell me that that's a good thing. But also, I'm in the part of the story arc where everyone hates me and treats me really, really shitty. <laughs> <laughs> and I hate it. <laughs> and I was just... I was aware of the idea that, like, things could change or get better, but I wasn't super happy about it because I'm just like, this sucks. Everything sucks. I'm going... And I tried from, like... I guess a good place to start would be middle to high school because that was around the first time I started coming out. Um, <laughs> I had this moment where I was kind of like, you know what? I'm a tiny autistic teenager. I didn't have the word autistic, but it was pretty obvious to me. Um... <laughs> Like, basically, if you add in all of the language surrounding autism, I had all of that. I just didn't have, like, the central label autism. <laughs> so I just kind of went, acting like myself means that everyone else hates me, so I need to be not that, and everything will be fine. So I started wearing what felt really unnatural at that time, which I love makeup now, but at the time, not my thing. I started wearing makeup. I started dressing up. I stopped wearing things that I thought were comfortable to kind of like try and look like other people. And I found myself looking around and kind of being like, I guess this is what life is supposed to be like, but this sucks too. It just sucks differently. Oh, that's rough. You were like, I'm going to put on this thing. And I used to do that as a teenager all the time. I was, this can make me sound like a super nerd, but I was really <laughs> into those like Kangol hats when I was like 14. And like yeah. bandanas and like things that were so just not cool. And I was like, if I wear this, 
someone's going to like me. And if I wear this cool thing, and if I go spend all my parents' money and make them buy me this, I'll have all the friends. Exactly. And then you might get a few friends, but they like your stuff, or they like this made-up idea of you, but they don't actually like you. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Yep. Yeah, and I had that with me for a while, where I got friends that kind of liked me on a surface level, and that kind of liked that I was, like, this smart, nerdy kid who was kind of doing things, but I didn't feel like anyone actually knew me, and around, like, beginning of high school, end of middle school, is when I first kind of, I'm, oh god, okay, this is a terrible story, but I'm you're going so to I'm so ready, I cannot even <laughs> wait. Okay, so, beginning of high school, um, I, I've been in choir most of my life, and I take what I think is a normal elective, I take a choir class, and I walk in, and we have a teacher, we have a choir teacher aide, who is a senior, way cooler than I would ever be, just this really adorable, (laughs) amazing person that, like, me at 14 was just like, holy shit, I want to be you, and then about a day later, I was like, oh no, oh no, I like you, like, I like you. Wait, but how do... I don't have words for this. How does this work? What? And... Oh, no, feelings. Oh, no, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it starts there. And uh, the story transcends and grows slowly to where I find the word gay, and I'm like, oh, God. Oh, God, no. Brown people don't do this. Oh, no. where? What is this? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and then it all comes to a head when um, we had this thing called Javanite, which is... Hey, cats, hey. <laughs> this thing called Javanite, where two of us would go, we're like, we'd be paired off and we'd go on stage and we'd sing and do solos and stuff. Yeah, it was and, like, like coffee house night. Yeah, exactly. It was, that was and, a big thing. Like, what year did you go to high school? Uh, like, let's see, I graduated 2013, so like 2009 to 2013. They brought, I must, they must have brought it back because when I was in high school, which is way longer than you. Um, they also had Javanites. I don't know why people thought that was so cool. It was never cool, but we thought it was... Like it a- was. Just like, we're having a cafe with coffee for your parents. Yeah, it's so <laughs> weird. It's odd. But yeah, so we're at Javanite. She goes on stage. And my brother, who's five and a half years older than me, he's like on the border of graduating high school. He's her age. And I'm just sitting there like, oh, he's on stage with her and he's playing guitar. And I just... Hear, and I hear someone behind me go, yeah, no, they're together. They're a really cute couple. And I just slowly turned in horror. And I was like, oh, didn't tell me anything like that. And they were just like, yeah, no, they're together. Like, I saw them making out behind stage. And I was just like, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, and, like, my cr- tiny 14-year-old heart was crushed. crushed. And I, yeah. And I laugh at it now. But it's there's something just blatantly hilarious about, like, 14-year-old me, just tiny, extremely repressed, thinking that I'm a girl at that point. Like, 14-year-old me being like, I'm in love with this random lady who I have never met who's just much cooler than I am. Oh, wait, she's dating someone who I am related to. And oh, wait, it's my brother. Oh, God. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's It's a hell of a way to come out, I'll tell you that. And I was desperately obvious. Like, she was kind enough to never call me on it, but, like... 
I would, like, I remembered her birthday, and I sent her cards for every major holiday. I kept my distance. I was respectful, because I'm, like, 14 and, you know, terrified. Yeah, and because there are laws against those kind of things. Mm -hmm, Yep, got it. Well, no, I know that now, but but 14-year-old me, you know how... You know how kids are. Yeah, fourteen-year-old me. If I liked a dude, I wouldn't have cared either. Like, I don't care. I'll figure it out. Exactly, and it's just like, no, that's illegal for a reason. Consent is a thing. Consent is (laughs) real, and yes, yeah. Consent is an important and good thing. Do not, don't be like me, kids. Or actually, do be like me. Keep your distance and be respectful. But anyways, (laughs) and be awkward and weird and strange, and it's cool, and we love you. Yes, but yeah. So that that was the first coming out, and that was. I looked for representation really hard in, like, my classmates and was just like, are there other gays? And there were no other gays that were open other than one kid who was, we later found out bisexual, but at that time I did as gay. Like, really, really open, super happy, happily flamboyant dude who wore, like, Lady Gaga-esque outfits everywhere. Like, he had these giant glasses that were, like, fully, like, bespoke and studded and had stuff coming out of them. Like, that level of out good for him i'd say good yeah. for him. like now i think of him but at the time too i would have been like oh dude that's too much yeah at that time i was more like envious just kind of like i didn't understand why at the time because internally i was just kind of like i want to be you and externally i was just kind of like i wish that i could be as out as you but i didn't the the gender dysphoria thing didn't really like it, it was hitting me over the head at that point, but it didn't, like, bludgeon me until I got to college and had my first boyfriend, who was a trans man, and who explained dysphoria, and within five seconds I went, oh no, oh god, not this again, oh god, <laughs> just slowly, fa- like, just slowly falling into infinity and being like, brown people don't do this. Oh, <laughs> well, okay, you know what, let's jump right into the, because you've said that a couple times now, and I'm, I'm curious, yeah. so, like, so, like, you're a brown brown person person of color yes um yeah. uh so like how and i'm really curious because you're you're artistic and you know that now you have labels for it now but how yeah. like how do how does your how does your faith and your your culture deal with autism or do they is that something that your culture knows and handle or talks about or talked about with you so that gets complicated because to me i think it handles it pretty well internally in terms of like the actual text of the Quran is super disability friendly I think there's provisions made around the idea that like if you physically can't for example bend over to do prayer that you can use chairs there's a lot of text that very specifically dictates things like if your disability means that you would die if you didn't if you like fasted for the dedicated amount of time during Ramadan for example don't do that we don't really want anyone to die here just like give more to charity or volunteer or do something else <laughs> like please please no die <laughs> but i i think that the quran was built fundamentally with this idea that god wants everyone to have access to him and that she can like <clears throat> have like a full grasp and range of emotion on with people across the ability spectrum i think that's changed culturally over time because if you look for like Muslim disability related content now, the the major orgs that you'll find are not led by disabled people for the most part. And they're not generally made with the idea of keeping us around. And that upsets me pretty deeply. Yeah, that's kind of horrible. 
Yeah, that's pretty bad. Like, there's, without naming names, um, one of the major orgs did a 30-part series about why it's okay to marry someone in a wheelchair. And one of the videos was specifically, you can have babies with me without them having my disability. Oh, dear. Tell me off. Yeah. Tell me off this thing. Tell me off when we're not recording who it is. I want to... <laughs> yes, I absolutely will. I but, like, to, yeah. it's, it's not fun. <laughs> but, like, I feel like externally, culturally, there's a lot of shame and a lot of stigma. Partially because some of it, I think, is colonialism and the idea that kind of particularly within Indian and Pakistani culture, this idea that, like, the value in a person is your ability to go to work and provide for the family and then provide for your elders as they get older. And, like, you can keep multiple generations in a house because people are productive and they make money. But when you kind of wage everything on, like, production and capitalism and wealth via wealth, all of that fun stuff, it doesn't work super well when people are measured that way because, again, disability happens. And sometimes it means that people want to to either work different jobs or might not physically be capable of working. And a lot of us have non-traditional-looking jobs and days and all of that fun stuff. Yeah, totally. And, and I mean, I, it, it sounds very similar to the way Christianity has kind of co-opted the idea of, like, working all the time, time too. So in, in that respect, it sounds similar, but it's... Yep, that's not a coincidence. <laughs> no, totally, totally, it's not. I, I think it's. I think it is interesting though that the Quran, as you're saying, kind of like makes makes allowances for disability more so than I think the Bible ever did. I think it kind of depends on your interpretation, but yeah, to me, it feels kind of like it's more explicit. Like I can point at text and kind of go, ah, this is where this is what that means, but like. I feel like one thing that I run into as well that people are really surprised about, the Quran is super open about sexuality. Like, very, very weirdly. It's it's pretty much like there's a gate, which is marriage, and then once you get past that gate, pretty much it's, it's fair game for the most part. <laughs> wow, that is not what I would have expected. That. And, and yep. <laughs> and, like, that's my own ignorance for sure, but, like, I was definitely <laughs> expect when I wrote this question... I was totally expecting you to be like, yeah, it's totally horrible. It doesn't, doesn't <laughs> like support me in any way. I, that's, I mean, I think that's kind of cool though. Yeah. It's definitely like, I think the way that people kind of presuppose this is around the idea of heterosexual marriage, which fair is kind of shitty and difficult to untenable. But like in terms of actual, like spelled out disciplines in the Quran, the only things that I really had much like, cultural learning about being forbidden sexuality-wise post-marriage are things like, um, the main thing is, like, the stigma of, like, having sex with someone on their period. I haven't been able to find anything in the Quran that actually says that. I think that's what's called hadith. And hadith, oh boy, that's, so that's a bag of worms that I'm not going to delve super deep into, but hadith is basically a game of telephone from the prophet, peace be upon him, all the way down to modern-day scholars. And what point along the train is going to determine how reliable that information is? Heavy-handed air quotes. Yeah. So there's a lot of hadith around sex, but the thing is, it's so hard, bordering on impossible, to source the vast majority of them that I don't tend to listen too much. And I mean, it sounds like your interpretation of, like, of these texts are really... It sounds like 
you and others have taken have made these interpretations more open and more safe for other people and that's kind of cool i like that like that's awesome yeah and i mean there's definitely there's similar stuff that i've seen in the bible in terms of things around like prohibitions around pardon me around like anal sex and all of that fun stuff but like in terms of the actual like dedicated no do not ever do a thing there's very little of it post-marriage pre-marriage there's a whole lot of don't do anything ever but i don't think that's unique to islam at all (laughs) no i I think that's just religion period pretty much (laughs) um do do you feel like there's is there any stuff on there about like about like sexuality and and disability in terms of faith like as a whole in these texts that you found or not or no I don't think anything dedicated beyond the fact that, like, as people age, I think one thing that's kind of cool is that I haven't found there to be a lot of shame around the idea that, like, as people grow older together, the idea that, like, their sex life has to die immediately doesn't seem to be, like, as much of a super cultural taboo, I think, as much as I expected it to be. Like, it's not something people talk about super only. Like, people aren't just going to brazenly go down the street like, yep, I had sex with every... I, just like, no, people aren't doing that. But, like, if you happen to mention, like... Oh, wait. Okay, I'm going up. Um, but if you happen to be like, ah, yes, we're trying for a child at, like, 45, then it's not as weird, provided that people are, like, being safe and all of that good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome sauce, and I and I'm only I'm only totally agreeing with you because I am like the most non-religious person ever. And so when you brought <laughs> it up, I was like, I want to hear more about this because I don't know and I don't want to say anything because I religion is not really what I do, but it's <laughs> something that I want to explore more on the podcast. So thank you for that. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really excited to talk about this in general because I'm actually on the board for, uh, pardon me, for the Muslim Youth Leadership Council, which is a combination of sex ed and LGBT youth efforts related to Islam. It's targeted pretty much at Muslim youth who want to do sex ed or to kind of be advocates for sexual reproductive health. That's awesome. That's really cool. Yeah, so this feels very much up my alley. <laughs> and it, I mean, and it's the first time that I've ever really ever kind of broached the faith and and like religion and sex and disability questions. So, thanks for being the thanks for popping that cherry on the show. Um, yeah, no problems. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Uh, speaking of popping cherries, <laughs> one of the things that you brought up in your questionnaire to me, and you mentioned that you tend to attract a lot of trans, masculine, white, gay people. Um, yep. Which, correct me if I'm wrong, sounds like you're kind of like attracting basically like, the dude bros of the trans community? Uh-huh, pretty much. Uh, which is cool, and if you're a dude bro of that community, <laughs> hey, welcome. But, yeah. uh, like, how does that impact... How did, how did that... Blah, blah, how did that have an impact on how you understood sexuality as a trans disabled person? It kind of made me feel like I was a niche, almost. And don't get me wrong, I, I have, like, no war to wage with the dude bros of the trans community i love them just as much as i love all my other brothers but like it's one of those things that like it feels kind of like there's only one type of person who's capable of being attracted to me and it seems to be people who can like 
either deadlift me or who feel like they can kind of like for lack of a better word be dominant or like the strong one in the relationship quote unquote and that kind of bugs me because it's like it comes from this really ableist assumption of like, ah, yes, this person is like super gay and wears women's clothes and likes multiple genders. Clearly this person is like just kind of a woman, but a man. And I'm just like, eh, this is uncomfortable. Yeah, that's not how that goes. Like, so how, like how, what I'm curious about too is how, how has like that trans community, have they been, or the trans masculine community, have they, have they been accepting of you as a, disabled person who's trans like how how has that played out mm, good online not as good offline so Tell online the drop the yeah. tea spill the tea <laughs> I'm ready yes okay so offline um when i first moved to dc i tried to go to um genderqueer dc which was a super wonderful loving meetup and someone that was there recommended that i check out um, a transmasculine group that also met in DC and that had both sober and bar kind of events. And I was like, cool, I don't know many sober events. So I'll go, I'll talk to people. Um, <clears throat> and naturally I ended up going on a bar night because I know how scheduling works. That's a lie, I don't know how scheduling works. And <laughs> Yeah, me neither. <laughs> yeah, it's bad. <laughs> and I just decided on a whim, like, okay, I'm going to go straight from the office to where the happy hour is happening and I'll camp out and wait for like an hour or two until people show up. Got lost on the metro as you do and ended up at the wrong station dragging my walker for like half a mile <laughs> up a oh, hill. Oh, I didn't know you had a walker. Does your walker have a I cool do. name? Do you name it? Is it a- yeah, it's a, yeah, I have an Animal Crossing theme with all of my stuff. Um, this one's name is Cherry after like the punk rock lesbian dog <laughs> that's in Animal Crossing. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> Wait, hang on. <laughs> what? <laughs> Did I lose you? Oh, maybe? Oh, if you hear honking, that might be Aries. Hang on, let me see if I can boop him into not honking. There we go. <laughs> he is an adorable son, who I will show briefly to the camera. Oh, hello. Okay, I'm going to ask it again because I don't know where... So, okay, so you... Before... I don't know what tangent I just went off on. Yeah, so... Oh, yeah, you... you um, you, I'm going to have to edit this part out because I don't know what just happened there. Uh, I think we both had brain farts. That's okay. Um, but I end... So, going back into where I was. So, I was... So, naturally, I decided on a whim to go to the bar to meet up with this trans-masculine group and ended up... I got off on what I think might have been the wrong stop and dragging my walker, because at that time that was all I had, about half a mile to get uphill to where this bar is. And once I get there, this bar is built like a tower. Like, there is a set of spiral stairs that you have to get up to to go to the actual bar. Oh no. Yeah, and they had neglected to put this anywhere on any of the info, and they hadn't, and like, I was just... Okay. Of course. This is difficult. So I ended up dragging it backwards up the stairs. And once I got there, everyone just looked at me. And I looked at them. And then they just kind of slowly looked away, just like, oh, fuck. Oh, no. (laughs) And that was uncomfortable. But what ended up happening is that, like, I didn't stop coming. And eventually they were just like, so, uh, 
we recognize that this hasn't been great for you accessibility-wise and that you've kind of poked us about it every time you've shown up. So how do we do better? And it hasn't been 100%. It's been sometimes better, sometimes worse. But at a minimum, I've gotten the various groups that this has happened to, because this is in no way unique to just this one trans mask group, um, to at least put down in the information if the venue's wheelchair accessible or not, or if there will be interpreters available within a certain range of time or not. Um, that's not something wheelchair access is something that I need, especially now that I have a motorized scooter, which I'm very excited about. Yay! <laughs> um, interpreters aren't something that I need, but it's something a lot of my friends do, so I always ask. And it's something that you might need at some point. Like Exactly, yeah. Like, I have audio processing that's just, like, a 2 out of 10, maybe. So, and I'm learning ASL, so I'm just like, at some point in my life, this might become a thing that I need. Yeah, I mean, because disability is so on a spectrum, we never know, right? So it could totally exactly. be a thing you need. Um, exactly. So, like, have you... It's so, okay. So back to, like, the... So have you found that, that dudes that you... Or trans masculine dudes that you're with, so, so they, other than them looking at you weird at bars, if you were like, <laughs> hang out with one or go like on a date, yeah, have they been? Have the dates been good or happy, fun or like the usual ableist bullshit? It's been fun at first, but what I run into really quickly is that like, I feel like I tend to get put into like the fetish corner of just like, ah, oh, yes, this is a fun experience for me to have for a few times. And then eventually just slowly dwindles into, well, we've done this one time and I have no interest in changing anything about this. So we're just going to leave this and slowly ghost into the ether. Oh, or, the slow or, ghost is the worst. It is. Unless you're my first boyfriend, then you, we end up being a mutually radioactive car crash that just kind of makes our entire friend group uncomfortable for like a year. Wow, but... <laughs> I'm pretty sure we just found the title of this episode. <laughs> the radioactive car crash. <laughs> yes, that, there there it is, there it is. Yep. <laughs> Unless you say something awesome in the next seven hour, we'll see. Um, so, but like, you, so, so you, you spend most of your time basically dealing with the fact that trans masculine guys want to fetish, want to fetishize you. Yeah, a little bit. And, and it's... so like, I know what that looks like for me as a, as a like predominant as like a wheelchair user, what is that? How does that how does that play out for someone who's autistic? For someone who like what is how does fetishization look different when you don't have as visible a disability as say I would? I think it plays out as kind of difficulty with understanding your options is the main thing I've run into because like for example when I had my most recent relationship. Um, it was one of those things where I communicated very bluntly, but people tend to, like, want to circle the drain or not quite confront stuff head-on. So I would so I would say something like, for example, hey, I don't like it when you do X. It makes me feel weird. And they'd go, okay. And they wouldn't do it again, but they wouldn't necessarily, like, want to talk about why it's a problem or what kind of goes into it. Um I think the main thing is that, like, it's a, there's a difficulty recognizing when you're being fetishized, and there's a difficulty with recognizing that you have, like, options to deal with it beyond just stay and cope or go and don't cope. Like, there's a whole range of options here. There's talking about why that's a problem, seeing if that's something that you're into or not, 
if that's something that you're willing to deal with or not, seeing if that makes someone turn you into a stereotype or an idea instead of a person or not. Like, there's a broad range that I had no idea about for most of my dating life. <laughs> so what you're saying is, like, people would, they would, so you, they wouldn't get, I'm just explaining again how they're fetishizing you, so they're, like, not giving you, they, would, they wouldn't do what you, they wouldn't do the thing you didn't want them to do, but they wouldn't allow you to talk it out? Pretty much, yeah. It's, like, this idea that, like, you that the way your brain works is a fascinating novelty but it's not really something that you want to delve into beyond oh you said something that sounds kind of random and cute isn't that weird oh so they kind of treat you like you were like in that movie a beautiful mind like you were like a little bit yeah like wow you're so eccentric but i don't actually want to talk about the thing exactly yeah and the other thing that i run into is someone who has somehow stumbled into a variety of like positions where I'm doing activism work um, is the whole thing of people going, ah, yes, you are doing a thing that I care about. Let's talk about that thing and nothing else ever. Oh, see, I don't really, I don't usually get that. I usually get like them wanting to be like, how do you have sex? Like, why? I don't understand. Like, how do you do this? And they're curious. But they Oh my God. That reminds me. Have you seen that one meme where it's like people putting their hands in? Yeah. I feel like the meme needs to be um, people in wheelchairs, trans people, and intersex people, and in the middle it's just people asking if your genitals work. Basically, I mean, <laughs> yes. It's so bad. So many times. Um, so, like, so they, they want to treat you like the guy from A Beautiful Mind, and then, yep. so you, all, you also mentioned that they simultaneously desexualize you. What does that yes. look like for you? How, do they, how does that happen? It's kind of this weird thing that happens where, like, people will, like, look at me and they'll go, ah, yes, you're in a wheelchair and you're wearing, like, cutesy feminine clothing. That clearly means that you're, like, six. And and six-year-olds aren't sexy. That would be sick and wrong. And I'm just like, I'm 23 years old, buddy. Oh, wow. You're still, you are still such a 23. (laughs) I feel so old right now. Oh, goodness. (laughs) <laughs> I'm I'm definitely young. <laughs> I, was, I, am, I was 23 a lifetime ago. You have so much more living to do with a disabled person. I do. Prepare yourself. It's coming. It's coming. It's going to be terrifying, but I'll make it. <laughs> Get ready. Um... But yeah, it's like people simultaneously look at me as like very, very young, but also very, very old, where it's just like, Oh, do you need help opening that door? Do you need help opening the bus? Here, let me try to move your wheelchair for you. Just, like, this idea that other people need to have control over you because clearly you don't know what you're doing because both of those groups are assumed to not be capable of, like, self-advocacy or thinking for themselves. Yeah, yeah, totally. So how, like, this must be hard for you to try to assert your sexuality with somebody then. Oh, absolutely. Because the thing is, like, I have to spend so much time talking people through... No, really, it is okay if, like, you, like, allow me to move in X, Y, or Z way or for me to, like, stand or sit or do literally anything other than lying down the entire time. Like, (laughs) it's because people spend the whole time being so scared that they're going to break me or just, like, destroy me as an entity that they don't really stop and think about what I actually want. So it tends to be a whole kind of back and forth of just like, 
okay, here, I have a literal list that already has all of the things you need to be thinking about physically laid out. I have a list that has, like, my wants, wills, and won'ts. Please tell me there's a real list. There is a real list. It's an actual Google Doc. I can send it to you. (laughs) Amazing. Yes, please. I want to see it so much. (laughs) But, like, I have a list. I hand it to people, and I'm just like, this is how this works. Can we now talk about what we actually want to do? And people just sit there and go, but can I really do X, Y, and Z? Won't that, like, break I'm so curious. Can you pull up one on your list and read me some? (laughs) Yeah. Give me a sec. I'm so... This is happening. It's happening. <laughs> okay. So, it's kind of... It's modeled after that list that Lin, that Dr. Lindsay Doe over on Sexplanations does, where it's just, like... Most of the list is, like... A lot of the stuff is things that I wasn't super familiar with prior to the internet. The but, internet like... internet is a great tool for, for <laughs> Gims to get it on. It's amazing. It's really true. Okay, but things that are, like, want would be things like consent, asking before you do X, Y, or Z, like, certain types of, like, front region sex, like, basic things, and wants might be something like, don't move my leg in X, Y, or Z way, or, like, don't try to move the entirety of me at, like, one big suave, grandiose motion because you will crack my back and it will terrify both of us. That's the story of my life as a person with CP. Don't move my whole body in one big motion because I'll hate it. Exactly. And you will be terrified of the sounds my body can make. And yeah, the sounds that will come out of my mouth are not going to be sexy when you do that to me. (laughs) Exactly. Just like, look, I am telling you the things that you're doing that can break me. So will you be kind enough to A, not do them, but B, listen to what I want to do? <laughs> and so when you, like, hand somebody this list, what is the reaction? It's generally, wait, you have an actual list? And then being like, dot, dot, dot. Well, I'm definitely having sex with an autistic person. <laughs> that's that's generally the reaction I've gotten. Either just, this is the most autistic thing I've ever seen, or, like... Or people just being slightly confused. Or occasionally, wow, this is really awesome. This is really convenient for, like, someone that I plan to see once and never again. Tell me more, <laughs> tell me more about, like, that story. So, like, someone was like, wow, this is great that you have a list. Because, I mean, we hear all the ableist bullshit about, like, people being like, oh, you have a list? That's weird. I want to hear the good story. Yeah, absolutely. So I haven't had many casual encounters. But, like, the one really good one I had was someone who was, um, who actually was also autistic. <laughs> And who basically took a look at the list and was just like, oh, okay, cool. I'm into X, Y, and Z as well. I am super not into X to A, B, and C that is on your will or want list. So let's just knock those off. And I'm just like, okay, cool. So we basically just like went through their list verbally versus my list physically, crossed stuff off, and we're just like, cool. So we know what we want to do. And yeah, um, things went super well. Um, I wish that would have. I, I made a guy a list once. I made a sex worker that I was seeing a list once because he yeah. was like, "Tell me what you want." And so I was like, "I don't know what I want." So I, I went on the Google Docs and I made a list, and then yeah. I sent him the list, and he was like, "Whoa, that's a lot of things." <laughs> and I was like, "Well, you asked me to tell you what yes. I want. Like, I did it. Here it is." Exactly. And he was like, "You don't have to worry so much. I, I'm cool." And I was like. Well, I wasn't worried until you said worried. Why do you have to say worried, not worried? Exactly. Just like, I wasn't concerned until you said I needed to be not concerned, because that's concerning. Yeah, and I, I don't think people realize how, like, when non-disabled people say, 
don't worry. The first thing we do as disabled people, especially when it comes to like sexual partners or like sexy people, you worry. Yeah, when they say don't worry, we're cool. The very first thing I do is freak out. Exactly, because it's just like, well, no, we need to worry at least a little bit so that like we don't have something like the, weird and scarring happen in the yeah, middle of like things. In the middle of things, <laughs> and then then I had them. We have to deal with that trauma later. I don't want to deal with that. So like, let exactly, me worry just like a bit. we're not in this for that. We're here to have fun, <laughs> or to try to have fun, or to try to like or attempt to. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, I came out to have a good time, and I'm feeling so attacked right now. <laughs> yeah, so like. Don't tell me not to worry. Let me worry. But, like exactly. And I, I, I'm not autistic, but I do have anxiety, so I understand Damn. that. Like I understand that. Like worrying is a form of weird control. Exactly. Yeah, it's a way to kind of be like, nope. We need to regain. Like rope it in. Rope it in. We need to have some type of handle on what's going to happen. Yeah, like worrying about my 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 the set my sexy partners is an important part of my sex. Exactly. Yeah, because it's a way to kind of gauge like. Almost a fantasize to just kind of be like, ah, yes, this is this person. I can trust them. I feel safe with them. I don't have to think super hard about it because we've already worked out what's going, what like is on the table and what isn't, and how to handle me. Like, it's it's helpful. <laughs> and so, like, I'm I'm really glad to hear that you and this this person handed each other a list and were like, or like talked out a list and we're like, yeah, okay. I'm going to cross off A and I'm going to add B and like that's really cool because that never happens in real life and that should happen way more. It really should. Like A it's fun. It's just kind of like it's just it's it's nice. It's nice to just kind of be like, yeah, here's just all of it out on the table. We don't have to like be super judgmental about it. It's just kind of like are there things that we're both interested in? Cool. Let's talk about how we do those things and then agree to do them and then do them. <laughs> and so do you think that's one of the ways that like disability has and i'm gonna jump a few questions but do you think that's one of the ways yeah. that like disability has enhanced your sexuality or made it better like to have oh absolutely yes i would say like i know what i want so much more now than i did well a when i was younger which i guess makes sense but b than when i was than i can be when i considered myself less not less disabled but like before i really knew that i had a disability and kind of had embraced disability in crip culture like before that, I feel like I didn't really, I was scared to kind of think through, like, here is exactly what I want, here's exactly the way I want it done, I'm okay to experiment, but here is, like, the right realm for people to go into, versus, like, now I'm kind of like, ah, yes, these are my things, we can try new things, but these are the things, these are the things that I want, these are the things that will break me, break you, break both of us. <laughs> Or just, like, leave us with horrible traumatic experiences that neither of us can speak of ever again. Let's not do them. Like, <laughs> I would have been terrified to say any of that, like, I'm terrified even to say that shit now. Like, I, like <laughs> I'm 34, and I don't know if I could send you a lover now that I'm sleeping with. Like, but I'm... It's hard. It's, it's really hard, so but it's hard. so worth it. Like, but I, do, I appreciate the, like... Because people think when you say I'm autistic and I have sex, which, believe me... A quarter of my guests have had this conversation with me, which I think is amazing. But when usually when, when a non-disabled person hears, I'm autistic and I have sex, they can't put it together. So the fact that you're using that kind of, that, that part of your autism to make your sex better is awesome. Yeah, I'm really happy about it. And one thing that tends to surprise a lot of people, and I, 
I don't find this that surprising about myself, but sex was a special interest when I was younger. So I got really, really, really deep into the weeds on like sex toy review blogs. And I was like, soup. I had like Hey Epiphora and Girly Juice bookmarked. And I got super in depth about like sex toy hey, safety. Hey, Kate, what <laughs> up? Dildork, hey, hey. <laughs> shut out. Yay. <laughs> but like, I got super and I really got into it. And like, I was really interested in, like, the science behind it, and Dangerous Lily was great for that, too, because she went into, like, the back history of, like, how silicone works and, like, the various ways that it's kind of been perverted by the industry, pun intended. Like, (laughs) it's, I find it fascinating because it's just so weird and fun and odd, and I think it's one of those things where when you tell someone from a really young age, like, this is a forbidden and scary and bad thing that people get really interested in that thing because you've made it the forbidden fruit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I got very that. And it, it ended up being kind of cool because it ended up being that I learned a lot about sex ed and sexuality way later than I should have, but I did learn about it in, like, late high school, early college. But it was something because it was something you were denied and so you had a curiosity for it? Exactly, yeah. It was something that I had an interest for, but that I was just very much like, I am terrified of the idea that, like, if I look into this, I'm a terrible and bad human being. And then college happened, and I had the doors opened up to, like, this broad spectrum of people. And I learned that, like, people who had sex or used sex toys or masturbated or did all kinds of sexual things that I didn't know existed because I was still kind of have had the blinders on i was like oh i'm talking to these people and they've done x y and z and they're not terrible human beings they're just normal human beings that like go out and have pizza with me every friday and like have coffee and who tutor me because i'm terrible at chemistry like it humanized people a lot more and i got a lot less scared to look into things that's odd that's I know, I thought you were still going, so I was going to let you keep going. Oh, you're good. <laughs> awesome. I'm going to cut that part out, Andrew, when you're editing, cut that part out. Um, um, and, so, and so you talked earlier about, like, how it's hard for you to have casual encounters mm-hmm. because of the autism, because of the need to, like, know a person and be comfortable, which yeah. is totally, like, believe me, I get it. I tried to have a casual encounter a few weeks ago. Oh, I, I, 2 a.m. hookups on Grinder. I'm not doing that shit anymore. Nope. I don't blame you because you spend so much time having to be like, no, I'm. I promise you, I'm. I'm fine. No, really, I don't want to spend the entirety of this. Like, well, then you get the person that's like, <laughs> I want to come over right now. I'll be there in three minutes, and you're like, whoa, hang on, you didn't give me any time to prepare my brain. Exactly. Like, I need to think, and like, it's not. And it's one of those things where like. You know, you have to be in, like, a dedicated mood for it. You need to spend a lot of mental time, like, preparing, preparing. and thinking through stuff. And, like, but what like, if your disabled body decides to do something in that moment that you're not ready for? And then they're in your house, yep. and what are you supposed to do? You don't know. Exactly. It's just kind of, like, it depends so much on, like, perfect timing and perfect preparation. And, like, I feel like it's so much easier to have casual encounters with someone that you meet with regularly. Because at least then you can kind of be, like... We're somewhat friends in a very strange manner. Is it okay if, like, our un- our what was originally going to be, like, time for our encounter could be, like, talking or eating lunch or something? 
and I'm sorry that we had this mutually slightly disappointing experience, but that we can at least get to know each other better. Yeah. I mean, I wish so many hookups in my disabled repertoire that I wish ended in, could we hang out and just see, like, maybe if we could, like, next time fuck around? Exactly. Like, can it just, like, can we slow it down? Can we take a step back? Can we wait? Can we take, like, ten steps back and just, like, play with the idea of maybe getting to know each other? Because that's a turn on, too. Exactly. Like, knowing people and, like, actually having an idea and having time to, like, think about them and what they like and like real people like 3d human people that are like well-rounded and that you can have like complex thoughts about are really sexy because like that's an entire person who actually likes you presumably enough to have sex with you and that's really hot (laughs) and i feel like both of our disabilities have forced us to like be really attracted to complex people and like now when a guy messaged me on Grinder at 2am, I'm like, ugh, no, like, I don't know who you are. Like, I want, no, you have to give me something more than my dick is big. I don't, like, that's nice, but, like... But, like, but like, do you have interest, though? Yeah, like, what do you <laughs> like to do when you're not jerking off? Exactly, like, what are, just, like, do you also really deeply enjoy just, like, the nuances of dog Twitter? Do you like poetry, <laughs> and would you like to read some together before we have sex? Exactly. Like... It's really nice to have, like, a well-rounded conversation with people and to really get to know folks first. Can I and sit and I talk like, to you about disability yeah. justice before exactly. I suck your dick? Um, this is, that's <laughs> important to me. Um, yeah. Uh, but my, that was a big, long tangent to get back to the question, which was, <laughs> so, you know, because having casual sex is hard for you as an autistic person or just generally because of the way people are, um... How do what do you it's like how do you get your need your needs met? What if you're just like I'm horny and I wanna fuck? Like how do you <laughs> how do you how does your autism play into horny nor who's like I just wanna fuck? Mm, I don't think it does particularly for me anyways. Um I think it's more like when I want to engage with people, I want to like I don't know, I guess it kind of I guess disability-wise, what tends to happen is that I kind of go, like, like I am in a mood to attempt to, like, talk through stuff with people and then maybe have sex with someone, and I'll just kind of be there and go, hmm, this is a thing that I would enjoy. I'm going to do nothing about it because I am terrified of human interaction, and that's about it, <laughs> which is unfortunate. Oh, wow. So you, so, like, you often wouldn't have an encounter because you're going to want to deal with all this stuff? Pretty much, yeah. It's one of those things that it's definitely gotten a little bit easier since I got the motorized scooter because, like, if there's someone who I'm regularly seeing, which I'm not now, but if there theoretically was, um, I could get to them without being in copious amounts of pain by the time I got there, for instance. So I could just kind of go straight to people and go straight to, like, talking and then action. Like, what versus what tends to happen... Well, what happened pre-Scooter was pretty much just me going like, ah, yes, there is a person who I am regularly seeing who I enjoy having interactions with. Well, going over to their house would render me immobile for the next three days because it involves walking, so, uh, cool. It's a good idea. (laughs) (laughs) So you just have the idea and then then you could never follow up on it because... Because it just wouldn't, it just wouldn't be realistic or worth the pain. Because your body would, yeah, your chronic pain would, would flare. Um, so like, so what, if you're, if you're hanging out in your room right now and you want to get off, like, do you, like, how, 
how does that happen or does it happen or does autism play into that at all mm, i don't think autism really plays into that for me because with my disability if i want to get off right now i'd have to be like okay gotta figure out how to get the pants down okay gotta figure out how to get, like get my hands in the way that i want them to gotta figure out how to like position the wheelchair in a way that this can go like it's just not oh that oh you mean mechanically yeah that tends to be more chronic pain stuff for me because functionally every like big joint on my body so like my elbows my knees like my lower back all tend to just like not fully displace but sublux pretty much constantly yeah so i have to basically just be like okay let's get every single brace that i humanly can out (laughs) and slowly apply all of them (laughs) amazing so you you basically have a masturbation suit that you put on I wouldn't say a suit, but definitely a lot of KT tape. Because I'm picturing like an Iron Man, like, okay, I'm going to jerk off, got to put on my suit. <laughs> well, there's another quote you could get. I mean, right? There it is, there it is. <laughs> yeah, no, it's basically just like securing, a, it's like, I feel like for me in terms of sexuality in general, it's like, I have to, partially it's like the mental preparation that we talked about earlier, but it's also physical, right? Because it's like, Sex is like a whole body experience to some extent for most oh, yeah. folks. For a lot yeah. of us. Yeah, so I'm just kind of like, I need to make sure that like if something like randomly pops out of place during a moment, that like I can pop it back in eventually. So let's just like KT tape everything humanly possible. <laughs> it really <laughs> that is like, it really does sound like an Iron Man suit. It kind of is, yeah. But like bondage gear, I would expect. <laughs> Amazing. Um, well, I mean as much as KTT can be anyways, but it's pretty much just like making sure that the joints are staying where they're supposed to stay. <laughs> as you, as we all want them to. And when, when it's happening, uh, uh, I'm not sure how to segue out of that. <laughs> into, <laughs> not sure. going to try. Um, so one of the things you mentioned in your questionnaire that I was kind of struck by too, was you mentioned when you were younger, your parents watched, a movie about a kid with autism and when they watched the movie they had like they were like oh that kid is so sad they had like the pity voice on how did tell me that story and how did that make you feel oh, as yeah. a queer trans disabled kid oh boy that was an interesting one okay so the only real like experience i had with the concept of autism as a kid was this one film that i saw when i was i had to be like 11 or 12 at the time which was about this young autistic kid who is very like autistic in the way that movies typically portray autistic kids so someone who is primarily nonverbal someone who is super interested in a mechanical field so in his case he's like a kid who's super interested in planes and he it's about this relationship that he builds with a teacher who is quietly autistic who is not out about being autistic but who recognizes himself in the younger kid and is trying to teach him like through planes, how to do things like do math or do English through the through like the realm of his special interests. Yeah, yeah, and it. I mean, for what it was, it wasn't the worst film, but it was one of those things where my parents were just like so enamored with it, and we're just like, oh, this special child is being helped by this special adult, and truly, we wish that like we could eradicate. Not they weren't they weren't full on the eugenics train at that point in their lives, but like they were very much just like it's so sad that autism has made this child this way. And 
I didn't really have the language for it, but I just kind of felt myself slowly shrinking, just oh, like, yeah. just, yeah, just kind of like, oh, so you're repulsed by me. Oh. And I didn't, yeah, I didn't have the language of like, that kid's autistic, but I was like, no, that, that kid is like me. That kid, like, really deeply, strongly cares about this, about certain things, and they just hurl themselves into it full stream and sometimes have trouble focusing on other things. And obviously autism is a much more deep and nuanced thing than that. But like totally. that, yeah, but that part of it, I really latched onto as a kid because it's all I had. And I was just like, okay, so that thing about me is bad. As an 11 year old, that's also like pretty much the majority of my personality. Oh God. <laughs> oh, that's so rough. And so like you're pouring into like becoming the person you are was colored by this idea that you were bad exactly it was colored by this idea that like i was repulsive or bad for liking things and for liking things deeply and emotionally and in a way that like just in a very animal whole body way made me happy so i learned to kind of tamp down everything so like if I was happy, I was never too happy. Like, I would smile and I would laugh, but I would base it off of, like, how much other people did it. And it was the same way. That all the time. All yeah. the time. It's so annoying because it's just, like, I want to like things. I want to, like, And I want to like things. them intensely and I want to tell you about why I like them because exactly. I want you to like them too and then you like me and then, to get, and then it'll be great. That's, yeah. Exactly. It's just, like, I just want to delve deep into stuff and be really intensely feeling things. This is how and I that's... deal with sexual partners that I, whose dicks I suck. I'm like, I wish that after I sucked your dick, we could, like, geek out over 80s TV shows or, like, watch, like, One Day at a Time on Netflix and laugh about it or, like, you know, it's things that you're not supposed to do in a hookup. I wish that I could do that. I feel you. It's like... It's. I feel like one of the good things about nerd culture is that it's becoming okay to like things again, and I am so relieved about that fact because it helps everything a lot. I mean, I just like... wish nerd culture wasn't super ableist. Like, I feel like. No, I agree. I wish it wasn't ableist or racist yeah. so bad. I feel like we have a lot of work to do on making it way less ableist, way less racist. Oh God, yes, but yeah, no. That's kind of like that was the frame I worked from when I was younger. Is kind of like this very formative idea of like like of being too much for people is bad so just kind of like take away bits and pieces and parts and try to make yourself as quiet and small as you can and then people won't laugh at you and then people won't be mad at you or hurt you and that was really fucked up because it kind of it changed my personality for a couple of years to where i felt like when i was coming out i was kind of like okay, this is a big, big thing that I feel really intensely. I need to just tamp it back, and I can say the word gay maybe once towards the end of high school, but I will not engage in a relationship directly. I will long desperately and harshly from afar and be very upset about it because I got the idea in my head that just love was not something that was designed for people like me. Um, and just like, I'm 34, and that's how I feel today, right now, today. Hello, welcome. It's so bad. <laughs> I hate it. But, like, I just I got it into my head, and it's stuck there. Because people tell you when you feel intense, and I, I don't necessarily know if this feeling, this need, this, like, intense feeling thing is just an autistic thing, or maybe it's, like, a disability thing. I think it's a disability yeah. general thing. Because I, I feel things be. intensely all the time, and I think we feel them more because our sense of... Because capitalism doesn't work for us and we can't be busy with, like, 
normative things like work or jobs or nine to fives usually. Um, we, I spend a lot of time by myself working or being alone or hanging out doing stuff. So when I like something or dislike something or like someone, I feel it soups hard because what else am I doing? I feel you, yeah. And when you're having like a chronic pain day or if you're just like down for the count for like a day or a week or a month, <laughs> you're just kind of like, I need to do things. And then you get super into them. And it's just like, you want to be able to be unapologetic about that because that's the stuff you care about. Yeah, and I mean, it would be nice if we could if we could have that unapologetic nature with our fuck partners. Yeah, I agree with with fuck partners, with standard partners, casual lovers, partners, and, and partners. Yeah, yeah, just everybody. <laughs> and so future lovers of Andrew and Noor, um, be ready for us to feel things intensely. Because yep. <laughs> it's gonna happen. Um, this was such a fun chat, and I yeah. super enjoy you. I uh, yeah. I don't have any ending questions except to say, how do people get a hold of you, Nor? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Snoring Doggo. So S N O R I N G D O G G O. Um, I'm also on Instagram at T T N O B I, and yeah, those are the main ones. Amazing. This was you're an awesome person and I'm so glad we finally did this. Um, Me too. You're gonna come back on the show at some point and do the show inside a show. You're gonna yeah. do when I was a disabled kid, we're gonna probably yes. record that next week. Yeah. And then I'll come out whenever I decide to drop it. So you're coming back and I'm excited about that. Yay. I'm happy. Yay. Well this <laughs> has been thank you so much for coming on Disability After Dark and I will talk to you very soon. Alrighty, good to see you. Bye. Bye. All right, so that's another episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on sex and disability. I'm, of course, your host, Andrew Gerza. Thank you so much for listening and being a part of this. If you want to follow my work, you can head on over to www.andrewgerza.com or follow me on Twitter at Andrew Gerza. You can also follow the Disability After Dark podcast on Twitter by following DisAfterDarkPod. You can also follow our Facebook page, facebook.com slash disabilityafterdark. It would also be super awesome if you could leave a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts so more people can hear about the show. And if you are able and want to support the show, you can do so by heading over to patreon.com slash content. This way we can do, do things like get better equipment, you help me make a living doing this thing. You help support content made but made by and for people with disabilities. So I can't thank you enough. And you can pledge whatever you can and as little as $1 a month to make it as financially accessible as possible. Thanks for listening and we'll talk to you again next time right here on Disability After Dark. Copyright Notice Disability After Dark was presented, created, and produced by Andrew Gerza and Crippled Content Creations, with music by Chris Sugiuchi. Any and all materials, including graphics, audio recordings, and music, are property of the owner and cannot be used or distributed without express permission. Copyright 2019